Father God, we do thank you that you um, uh, have made yourself known um, through your word. Thank you that you uh, speak and act uh, through your word. Um, you create through your word and you, um, you redeem through your word. You make a new creation in your son Christ. Thank you that um, uh, your Holy Spirit enables your work, um, your word to do its work at the deepest level of our beings. And we just do pray that uh, this morning... Um, you would soften our hearts by your spirit and accomplish your plans uh, for your word today. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 126. A song of ascents. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like, the, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Thanks, Duncan. Thanks, Steve. Uh, lovely to see you all here this morning. Um, be great to meet you if I haven't afterwards, uh, if you're able to stick around for morning tea. My name's Duncan, the pastor here at Trinity Church, Victor Harbour. As Steve mentioned, this is the last um, in uh, kind of on and off again series we've been going through for a while in the book of Psalms. And the, the goal of the whole series has been to see Jesus in the Psalms, basically. Uh, to see Jesus in these Psalms, uh, especially we've been looking at the figure of King David, who sort of looms large over the Psalms, uh, and uh, uh, looking at how David is kind of like a signpost who points to Jesus in lots of different ways. Uh, each psalm we've looked at has either been written by David or has some connection to him. Um, but you might have noticed, as Steve read through the psalm here, uh, you might have noticed that David's nowhere to be found. Uh, there's no king anywhere in this psalm, actually, um, at first glance, at least. Uh, but I want to show you today just how this psalm does actually lead us wonderfully to Jesus, our great King and Saviour. Um, it's a part of a collection of the Psalms called the Songs of Ascents. Um, you would have uh, seen that at the top there. It's this collection uh, from Psalm 120 onwards for a little while. Uh, it's probably a collection of Psalms that was sung by pilgrims in the Old Testament as they were going up to Jerusalem, um, the, the city, the capital city, for the special feasts and celebrations and ceremonies. Uh, another name for Jerusalem in the Old Testament is Zion. Uh, Zion's one of these repeated themes through these psalms, and it's in this one today. It's actually kind of in focus as we kick off. So let's do that. Uh, the psalm starts in verse 1 by remembering a time when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. Uh, the thing about Zion was it wasn't just another place. It wasn't just another city. Zion was right at the centre of God's plans for the whole world. Uh, it was the place where sin was dealt with uh, through sacrifice. It was the place where God met with his people. It was the place where God's king reigned, uh, where King David had been given those great promises that one day 
from his family, uh, one of his descendants would be God's eternal king over his kingdom. And uh, God had restored Zion's fortunes many different times. He'd, 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 uh, we're, we're not exactly sure which restoration is being talked about here in this psalm. Uh, it's probably a time later on in Israel's history, though, uh, after they'd been taken away to exile in Babylon, and then they were brought back to their land 70 years later. And do you notice the effect that this restoration has on them as you keep reading, though? You notice the effect that this has on them? It's this beautiful picture, isn't it, of just kind of unguarded childlike joy. Um, verse 1, it says, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. I don't know whether you dream. Uh, these days, I seem to dream mostly, you know, in those uncomfortable afternoon naps when it's a little bit too warm and you wake up feeling disgusting, uh, and they're not good dreams. Um, but that's not the picture here. <laughs> Quite the opposite. Uh, this is very much a good dream that's in view. Something had happened that was just so unexpected, um, so wonderful, so good. It's, they were like they were kind of bouncing around in a really wonderful dream. And you can see that in the next verse, this beautiful imagery. Their mouths were filled with laughter. Uh, their tongues were filled with songs of joy. Uh, their, their joy was so obvious that as you keep reading, you notice the nations around them saw it and they couldn't help but notice. Um, verse 2, then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. So you get this picture of the whole nation celebrating. Uh, so they're celebrating what God had done for them and it spills over to the world around them. Um, it's important to see here, this song, this psalm, it's a song of someone uh, it's a song of someone whose heart is caught up not just with their own personal well-being. Um, it's a song of someone whose heart is caught up with the well-being of the people of God as a whole. It's easy to just think about me, to just think about my family, my group. It's easy to make decisions in life basically driven by what's going to be good for me. But this, what this psalm does is it invites us to... Um, open ourselves up to what it might look like to have your heart so tied to the fortunes of God's people that their blessing, their restoration uh, was what you really rejoiced over, what caused your heart to sing. Well, friends, how do we relate to this first part of the psalm, this, this side of Jesus? What's uh, this was their joyful memory. So the psalm is they're, they're looking back at this time. They were now in this dreamlike joy. Um, what about for us? How, do, how can we sing this? We haven't seen the fortunes of Zion restored like they did. Um, but friends, if you have heard and believed the gospel of Jesus, you have actually seen much more than they ever did. They, what they experienced was a partial restoration they returned home from exile, but there was no king on the throne. They had rebuilt a temple, but it was a pale shadow of the temple that was originally there. They still faced foreign powers who threatened their existence. But friends, in the gospel, we have so much more. Uh, in Jesus, we have the full and ultimate 
restoration from God for his people. Um, Zion and everything that it stood for is fulfilled in Jesus. Uh, Zion was the, like the focal point of God's salvation in the Old Testament, of his presence, of his worship. Now that Jesus has come, that is no longer a physical place, but a person. Jesus is the perfect once-for-all sacrifice for sin. Uh, Jesus is the new temple, the new place where humans and God meet. And just, it's a bit of an aside, but I think important. That's why I think it's not helpful for Christians this side of Jesus to focus on the physical place of Zion, on modern-day Israel, as, as having a, an ongoing place in the redemptive plans of God. Uh, God's promises are fulfilled in Jesus, not in current geopolitical events. But maybe you can catch me afterwards if you want to follow that up. Uh, but when we sing this psalm, when we sing this psalm, uh, we look back at the great restoration of the fortunes of Zion. Uh, we look back to the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And whenever people see that, whenever they're gripped by that, it's something that brings joy. Uh, it's really interesting to see the impact that this had on the first disciples. If you read through the gospel, uh, the, uh, uh, the ending of the gospel accounts, uh, consistently what you find is the disciples, when they, uh, kind of their hearts and their minds are open to what Jesus had done, uh, they are filled with joy. They're filled with joy. Um, one, uh, I don't know if you saw the movie Risen. Um, we had it on at the cinema here as a bit of a uh, fundraiser. A couple, I think it was a couple of years ago. Um, I, I'm usually a little bit cautious about Christian movies, but I found this one quite moving, actually. Uh, and one scene that stood, stand, stood out to me at the end of the movie um, was uh, uh, the scene where, uh, maybe you've, if you've seen it, you remember, the disciples um, are confronted with Jesus, the risen Jesus. They meet Jesus after he's risen again. And there's just this really overflowing, sort of gushing playfulness and joy about them um, as they see Jesus. And it made me a bit uncomfortable, to be honest, watching it. Um, it's partly my sceptical Aussie mindset. I think anyone that happy has to be selling you something, right? Um, uh, well, no, actually. What is going on here uh, was that here were people who were longing for the restoration of Zion. They were longing for God to come and act and save and renew. And when they saw that come true, when they saw Jesus risen from the dead, they were like those who dreamed, whose mouths were filled with laughter, whose tongues were filled with songs of joy. And the nations around them heard about it. The people around them heard about it. You read that as you read on through the New Testament, you see um, in one place, particularly in the first letter to Thessalonians, Paul uh, writes that these early Christians, they received this message with great joy, even in the midst of real persecution. And the, whole, the message about Jesus rang out through them to the whole region. So friends, uh, um, as, uh, if you are a Christian... If you have placed your faith in the crucified and risen Jesus, then you're a part of the same family, the same story, the same people 
as those first Christians. And this is your joyful memory too. Um, I think for me this is where it's so helpful to see this as it's not an individualistic prayer. Uh, it's, a, it's a church prayer. It's a prayer that we say together with each other. Uh, not just with each other, but it's a prayer that we say with all of Christ's people through the ages. Saying this psalm connects you with those first disciples in their joy at seeing the risen Jesus. It connects you with your brothers and sisters here who are also singing this song with you and sometimes who are carrying you with their own praise, with their own joy. Um, it was, that was my experience last year. Some of you, um, many of you will know that I was quite unwell last year uh, for a period of time. Um, the thing that stood out to me as I was going through that time was standing over there and being carried by you, actually, by your joy and your praise of the Lord. Um, I was in the Life Explored group as well. I was privileged to be a part of that through that time and seeing other people encounter the risen Jesus for the first time um, for the, or in a fresh and new way. So, friends, what are, there may be times when you will be carrying a brother or a sister with your praise, with your joy in the gospel. I don't mean that in a manipulative or forced way, not kind of focusing on them, but focusing on Christ. See, as you fix your eyes on your Saviour, you're going to lift the eyes of the people around you to him as well. Our joy in what God has done, what this psalm is telling us, it's, uh, it's a witness to the truth and beauty of the gospel. It's a witness to each other, but what's in focus in this psalm is it's a witness to the world. Um, what would it take for the people of Victor Harbour to look at our church and to say, wow, God has done great things for them? Uh, well, one major answer to that is simply... It would take our own gospel-fueled joy. Uh, your growth in Christ, your resting in Jesus' great love for you, your joy in the gospel isn't actually just about you. Uh, it matters for your brothers and sisters around you. It matters for your neighbours who don't know Jesus and who themselves are longing for this joy. So friends, if you're a Christian, then you can look back at Jesus on the cross, bearing your burden of guilt and shame. Uh, you can look back at him risen in power, holding out the promise, the certain promise of eternal life. And you can say before the world and together with God's gathered people, the Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. Okay, that's the first half of the psalm. Uh, but one of the striking things about this psalm is there's a real um, break halfway through. Uh, there's this sort of sudden contrast in verse 4. 
So the psalm starts by looking back at this joyful memory. Um, and, and you see in verse 3 that, that joyful memory does overflow into the presence. But there's also something about what's going on in the present in this psalm. That's a total contrast. Uh, so you get this plea in verse 4. Uh, they remember God's restoration in the past, but there's this plea with God. Verse 4, restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Uh, the Negev was like a desert, basically. It was a really dry, arid place in the south of the country. Uh, but occasionally there'd be flooding rains and it'd suddenly transform um, into a flowing river. It's a bit like Lake Eyre, I think, not last year, the year before now, 2018, uh, there was this um, major flood. I don't know if you saw pictures of it. And like, apparently, water comes every sort of five to ten years, but every 50 years it fills up completely and totally transforms the landscape. Um, but other than that, it's like dry. It's arid. It's a desert. Um, and that's the image that the psalm wants us to have in mind. That's the image that shapes the rest of this prayer. Uh, there's something about what they're going through at the moment that is like that desert, dry, thirsty. Restore us, Lord. Send your soaking rain. And it's a prayer that's fueled by a certain confidence. Um, this is a people who know their, their God, who know their Lord Yahweh. They know, they know they can look back at the past. They know he has done great things for them. And based on that, they're confident that he will act again for their good, even though they're in the desert now. Uh, it's switch, uh, the, the, the image switches in the psalm as you keep reading from a desert to a farm. Um, verse 5 says, Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seeds to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. See the picture there? It's a picture of a farmer in, in droughts. Uh, it's a really, like, it's a sad picture, isn't it? Um, maybe some here have experienced something like this. Or you know people who have. Um, scattering seed on dry ground in the kind of desperate hope that it will take, but wondering why you're doing it, seeming pointless. Um, but what this psalm is saying is to those people, joy is on the way. You might not see it, but a bumper crop is coming. Well, it's an image, right? Um, it's an image. Uh, but the psalm urges those who sing it, using that kind of vivid imagery, don't give up when you're in the desert. Keep trusting. Keep sowing. Uh, keep living for your good God, who is working for your joy. Keep asking him to restore the fortunes of his people. Uh, what does that look like for us, though? Again, the first singers of this psalm could look back at God's saving work, and they could, they could go on even in their own desert, even in their own tears, um, because they knew God wouldn't abandon them, and God didn't abandon them. In Jesus, uh, he did send his rain, his blessing, his joy. So they were looking forward to Jesus. Uh, we're looking back at Jesus. 
We look back on the saving work of Jesus. That is our ultimate joyful memory. Um, But until Jesus returns to bring what he did on the cross to its full fruition, until that time, in many ways we're actually in a similar kind of position to the first people who sung this psalm. Uh, In many ways we're in the Negev too. Um, We have desert seasons in life that come and go. We, we do have that, but there's actually a bigger sense in which we're in the desert. Um, we're in what theologians call the now and the not yet of God's great plan of his salvation history. We have now the restoration of Zion's fortunes, the fulfilment of the promise of God to save and to renew through Abraham's seed, through, through David's great son, through Jesus. That's all been finished. It's been accomplished. Uh, In Jesus, the kingdom of God has come. The death has been defeated. Satan has been crushed. People are restored to relationship with their creator. But we haven't yet seen the full kind of effect, the full fruition of that victory, of that kingdom. We still struggle in a fallen world. We still struggle with our own sin. We still struggle with death. We're still waiting for the day when what's true in Jesus will be completely and fully true in the whole of creation, when he will be all in all, when Satan will be finally brought to nothing, when Jesus will renew this world in life and in peace, uh, where, as the end of Revelation puts it, there will be no more death and no more mourning or crying or pain. Because Jesus will make everything new when the desert will come to full bloom and will never again become a desert. And when we will, we will reap with songs of joy. So friends, what I just want to finish with is an encouragement that in the light of the gospel, this psalm becomes a, a great prayer for us. Um, I, and I want to encourage you to make this prayer your own today. Uh, on your own, but also as God's gathered people to take this prayer into our own hearts to kind of spur us on into this year, whatever it brings, you know, to spur us on whatever the year will bring. It's a prayer for renewal. It's a prayer for restoration. And I think we can pray it on a couple of different levels. I think it is something to pray through our own kind of desert seasons uh, where the church of God is going through a time of dryness, that God would come and act and bring renewal and joy in the gospel. But ultimately, this prayer looks forward to the new creation. Uh, It's ultimately a prayer that Jesus would return and make everything new. It's a prayer that it anchors our life in what Jesus has done. It kind of strains forward to what he will do. Uh, And it's a prayer that in in sort of in between those, sandwiched in between those two uh, joyful anchors of our life, what he has done and what he will do, it's a prayer that strengthens us to keep sowing 
to keep living for Jesus even through tears because uh, we know that we know that a never-ending song of joy is on its way. So I uh, want to invite you to pray this prayer with me, actually, now. So uh, can we get it up on the screen again? Um, and to use this as a prayer for yourself and for our church as we look forward to 2020. Um, just stay seated. Um, uh, but perhaps you'd like to join me. Otherwise, just uh, reflect on the words as we say them. So, friends, I invite you to say this, to pray this psalm with me now, together. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for us, for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them.